Hey, my friends, we will be right back to the show, but I have a question for you. Are you struggling with the impact of childhood trauma? Well, know that you're not alone. I'm here to let you know that I'm starting a brand new weekly coaching group that includes a year of life coaching, accountability, support, habit and goal setting, and more. I'm starting a waitlist for the group right now, and I'm only taking a handful of people. And I'll let you know that through this personalized coaching, we'll work together to help you understand how your childhood trauma has shaped your beliefs, behaviors, emotions, and will help you create a roadmap for healing and growth. Right now, you can schedule an absolutely free coaching session with me and get put on the wait list if you go to thinkunbroken.com. My friends, it's your time to turn your trauma into triumph, breakdowns into breakthroughs, and become the hero of your own story. And I'm here to support you in doing that. Just go to thinkunbroken.com to register for a free coaching call with me and to get put on the wait list for the brand new weekly coaching program. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hey, my friends, we will be right back to the show, but I have a question for you. Are you struggling with the impact of childhood trauma? Well, know that you're not alone. I'm here to let you know that I'm starting a brand new weekly coaching group that includes a year of live coaching, accountability, support, habit and goal setting, and more. I'm starting a waitlist for the group right now, and I'm only taking a handful of people. And I'll let you know that through this personalized coaching, we'll work together to help you understand how your childhood trauma has shaped your beliefs, behaviors, emotions, and will help you create a roadmap for healing and growth. Right now, you can schedule an absolutely free coaching session with me and get put on the wait list if you go to thinkunbroken.com. My friends, it's your time to turn your trauma into triumph, breakdowns into breakthroughs, and become the hero of your own story. And I'm here to support you in doing that. Just go to thinkunbroken.com to register for a free coaching call with me and to get put on the wait list for the brand new weekly coaching program. Hey, Unbroken Nation. Very excited to be back with you again today. First and foremost, as always, thank you for listening. It means the world to me. Today's guest is Safia Sam, who is a coach for pornography addicts. And I know if you read the title of this, Healing Porn Addiction, it might have been a little unsettling, might be a little uncomfortable, might even be a little scary. And I don't want you to run. If you are a person right now who in your life, you are facing the reality that maybe pornography is negatively impacting your life, you're going to want to listen to this episode. And the reason why is because like the truth of it is, is that porn impacts people men, women, doesn't matter all across the world in ways that are so negative and detrimental. Even myself, I've been through my own battle with it. And in that coming out the other side, looking at my life now, one of the things I'm most happy about is going through the process of healing that. 
I was exposed to pornography at an incredibly young age, seven years old. And that kind of set the precedent for me in my life. And what I will tell you about my own journey without going too deep, because we're going to have a conversation with Safia here in a moment, is that being willing to acknowledge the impact that it was having on me from a negative aspect is one of the only reasons I'm here. And I, I would apply that to any of the addictions I've faced in my life, food, money, clothes, cars, whatever. Step one is always that. And, and the reason why I wanted to bring him on today was so that we could have this conversation and open up this taboo that I know is impacting people because it has impacted me. And as a reminder, I want you to know that you're not alone. Like in this process, in this journey and healing, there are tools, there are help. There is a community out here that can support you. And whether it's 12 step or whether it's coaching or whatever it may be, just know that if you're facing struggles in your life of any addiction, there is support, there is help. And so I'm very excited about this episode with Safia Sam. Without further ado, my friends, let's get into the show. Hey, what's up, Unbroken Nation? Welcome to the Think Unbroken podcast. I'm your host, Michael Unbroken, and this podcast is about helping trauma survivors let go of the past, overcome their fear, discover their identity, become the hero of their own story, and ultimately to be unbroken. Our goal in company is to bring on guests and experts in the fields of mental, physical, and psychological health to help you overcome the past, to take back your power. And in this podcast, we are unedited and unfiltered, and we're going to give it to you real so that you can start to create massive change in your life. If you're curious about learning more outside the podcast, you can get a free copy of my book, Think Unbroken, at book.thinkunbroken.com. That's book.thinkunbroken.com, where you can get a copy of my number one bestselling book, Think Unbroken, Understanding and Overcoming Childhood Trauma. The most important thing that you can ever do, my friends, is show up for yourself, and that's where you are today, and I appreciate you. I have massive gratitude for you, and without further ado, let's get into the show. Hey, what's up, Unbroken Nation? Hope that you're doing well wherever you are in the world today. I'm very excited to be back with you with another episode with my guest, Safia Sam, who is an entrepreneur with a passion to see people's lives transformed. He has the Deep Clean program that helps men overcome pornography addiction. Safia, my friend, what is happening in your world today? Michael, thanks for having me, man. Glad to be here. Dude, I'm so excited to have you here because this is such a fucking taboo subject that I already know that people are going to listen to it and they're not going to talk about it. And what I think I would love to be able to do with you is for us to just break down the wall of this because so many people are negatively impacted, both men and women. Yes, I realize you specialize in, in working with men, but across the spectrum, and I think it's only getting worse, destroying relationships, destroying intimacy, destroying work-life balance, the whole nine, it's, it's insane to me. And so I am super, super pumped to have this conversation with you today, my friend. To begin with, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background, your history, and how you got to where you are today? Yeah, I mean, for starters, man, just kudos for being willing to talk about the subject. Like you said, it's very taboo. Uh, not a lot of people are willing to go here, uh, myself included. You know, I grew up uh, in a Christian home. My dad was a pastor. Uh, my parents actually forked out the money for us to go to Christian school. So um, I was uh, my, my life was pretty sheltered, I would say. And you would think somebody with that kind of upbringing would probably not fall into things like pornography, um, especially when you have, uh, you know, like a moral compass that's sort of instilled at a young age. 
I got exposed to porn in the computer lab of my Christian school when I was 11 years old. And that was in 2001, bro. Like this is before broadband internet, before the smartphone, you know what I mean? And um, it just goes to show you that like uh, the rampancy of pornography is unreal. And we'll get into all of that. But that began a 15 year journey with it. It, it gradually got worse and worse in high school. Um, I was dependent on it. And I would say in universities where I was really addicted, I needed it pretty much every day. I couldn't go without it. Um, it took the edge off. It was kind of my reward system for uh, a long day of work at school. And um, and then I tried to get some help, you know, and people weren't talking about it. There weren't tons of resources out there. And it, it was never really crystal clear, like what's actually required of somebody to get free of porn addiction, because it was um, really relatively under-researched and just not really known much about. And um, and so it was a lot of uh, experimentation, guessing and checking. I was a bit of a human guinea pig, I think. And so I purposed in my heart that one day I'd figure this thing out. And when I did, I would do everything in my power to help as many other people as possible get free. Um, 2016, February 2016 to be exact, was the last time that I engaged with any sort of uh, compulsive sexual behavior, porn, masturbation, anything along those lines. I said no to it after that. And, um, and I've been running Deep Clean for about three years now, helping guys around the world get free as well. Man, that, that's so beautiful. And I I think about the reality of exposure to porn probably being more detrimental than ever. You know, I, I got a little bit of age on you. And I remember the first time that I saw porn, I was actually only seven years old. And it was on a VHS tape. And wow. this was something that was in my home because my uncle who had been in prison had had it there. And I didn't really understand what I was looking at or what I was watching. And it really impacted the way that I thought about sexuality, human beings and, and everything for a very long time. And you lead to that place where, you know, you do the fifth grade class where they separate the boys and the girls and they talk about <laughs> sex. And, and then you're like, OK, we got to go figure it out. You know, and I think now it's it's so rampant your phone is a walking porn library i mean i remember yeah. recently not recently it was a few years ago i was on a bus in portland and the guy in front of me was literally watching porn on his cell phone and i'm, I'm just thinking to myself in this moment like that is compulsive behavior that is trauma behavior very likely obviously i don't want to diagnose someone i don't know what i want to start with here is like i i just feel so deeply that Right now, people are being impacted by this in ways that, A, they probably don't even recognize, and B, that is destroying their life, and they're trying to wrap their head around what's happening. So what I'm curious about, from a starting point, how would you define pornography addiction, and what are the signs that one should look for as self-awareness or acknowledgement if they feel like their life is being detrimentally impacted by this? Yeah, it's a great question. And um, the reality is like, if you if you look at the DSM, uh, porn addiction is not there. You know, there's other behavioral addictions like gambling, um, like video games even are acknowledged. Uh, but the research on pornography is really uh, behind because it's such a taboo subject. What we know, though, is that when people are, have an unhealthy, uh, damage, damaging relationship with anything, whether it's smoking, video games, alcohol or porn, there's a couple qualities that start to surface. Uh, number one is desensitization. And that is where the content you are watching no longer gives you that same stimulation or that same arousal. And so uh, it leads to a seek or a search for more intense content. So that might mean a greater level of volume. But usually what it means is people start watching stuff that in, they never thought they'd watch in a million years. 
but they're experiencing that classic addiction, addiction symptom of desensitization. Second one is that you start to engage in riskier behaviors to acquire the substance or to engage in the behavior. The gentleman on the bus watching pornography on his phone is a great example. That's actually a high risk situ situation. He's in a public environment. He's going to get exposed. He doesn't care. He's going to do it anyways. Very classic indication of, of an addiction. And I think the other one that we see uh, really quite often is that it starts to impact your day-to-day -day living in a negative way. So you're not able to maintain social commitments. Uh, when guys come to me, sometimes it's because they got fired from their job because they were watching porn at work or they weren't showing up to calls on time because they st stayed at home and watched porn instead. Um, th there's a whole gamut there, but when it starts to impact your day-to-day -day functioning, uh, that you can be pretty much assured that you have a very damaging relationship with pornography and anything like it. So I, I think as a starting point, Michael, that, that would be uh, the outline. For people who... I don't necessarily want to step in this from a 12 steps perspective. I know we're going to talk about some of the pillars of, of deep clean with you, but what I'm curious about is, do you feel as though maybe actually, let me, let me put it in this context. When I found myself in my late teens, early twenties, consuming porn every single day, multiple times a day, I didn't feel like anything was wrong. It wasn't until I started to notice like, holy shit, I have no intimacy with partners. It's the only thing I'm thinking about. It's impacting my life to this point where I can't do anything. Did I change? And, and I'm, what I'm wondering is in that acknowledgement and looking at perhaps behaviors that you have, is, is there a way to mitigate a risk of like hitting a rock bottom with this where it starts to destroy your life? Oh, it's really hard to say. I mean, the, like my personal opinion is that porn is basically like cocaine. It's just a behavioral mm. version. So like, it, you know, you ask yourself like, well, could I do a little bit of cocaine and not get addicted to it? It's like, well, good luck with that. You know, like, I think, I think it's a very slippery slope. Um, the research shows that when porn is um, involved in a relationship, if one person is viewing porn, relationship satisfaction goes down. And in a marriage context, the rates of divorce spike. Um, we see that rates of erectile dysfunction are at an all-time high, even in guys under the age of 40. Um, it's reported as high as 45% of that demographic are experiencing ED. Uh, a lot of it po points back to pornography. And, and I think um, for me, I don't see any, any element of it that's really healthy or helpful. All the research is indicating that the more this is a part of your life, the more damaging it's really going to become. So the, the earlier you can nip it in the bud, the better. Yeah. And, and I think that it's really fascinating to me because it is, we live, especially if you're in Western cultures in such this weird like puritanical slash taboo culture where sex is everywhere around you all the time, but it's like the healthy conversation isn't there. And I think yeah. that this is one of the unhealthiest conversations that is not being had or, you know, vice versa. And what I'm trying to think about here at in real time is for people who are now in this position, they're listening to this, they're, they're deep into this. They want to know more. They want to try to start to create some types of changes around their life but it just feels like they're holding on so tightly. This is the one thing that they have that brings joy, pleasure, happiness to their life. Even though if you look at it from a biological and chemical release perspective, it's actually destroying you. Yeah. Where does that person begin? I think, I think you have to acknowledge it. You, you have to own it. Um, one question I really like to ask people is just what, what would change in your life if porn wasn't in the picture? And that, that usually starts to make people really aware of like, oh, well, I would have more time. Uh, my relationships would be healthier. I'd have more self-confidence. Um, you know, the list goes on. Y you have to start there. You know, one of our mantras in Deep Clean is that a mistake made once is a mistake. 
a mistake made twice is a choice. And the idea there is that you have to actually own it. You have to take responsibility. It would be so easy for me to just keep blaming the guy who um, told me to go to that website, that pornographic website in my computer lab when I was uh, 11 years old. It'd be so easy to blame him to say, you know, if that never happened, I would never have this problem. It'd be so easy to blame the internet, to blame the porn industry. You know, they, the porn industry knows what they're doing. They know how to groom people at a young age to get them engaged in their content. Um, th there's all these places we can deflect responsibility towards, but ultimately I think somebody just needs to say, hey, um, I'm actually responsible for this and I'm gonna do something about it. But the next thing you wanna do just to get really granular and really practical is you have to start talking to somebody. And it could be a stranger. Some people would rather not talk to anybody they know, and I totally get it. I was more in that camp myself, uh, just dealing with the shame of it. It was much easier to talk to somebody who didn't know me at all personally. Um, or it could be somebody that you feel safe with, that you can trust, and eventually that's kind of the direction that I, I took uh, long term. And, uh, and that's a, another really good place to kind of uh, de-shame, uh, vocalize it a little bit, and, and at least start to begin that healing journey. And it feels like so much of this is shame ridden, right? I mean, it's, you look at the amount of consumption. I, I think I read somewhere, I may be wrong. You might know better than me, but I, I recall that a few years ago, there was a porn company that did an ad during a Super Bowl halftime show and more people watched that on their website than the entire Super Bowl combined. And it's like, there, there's something there to that where you go, is it, like, where does this really come from? So let, let's break it down a little bit. Cause I know that there are people who enjoy this and we're not shaming people. We're not guilting people here. That's not what happened. That's not what we're talking about because the reality is some people do have that. And some people it's self-expression and things like that. What we're looking at and talking about here are people whose lives are so negatively impacted. And, and what I'm wondering is in, in this process and when you're looking at it and you're holding on to this, is it, is it truly behavioral? Is it chemical? Like, like what is it about this particular about porn addiction that keeps people so tied in? Yeah. I mean, the, honestly, it's, it's all of the above. Um, I mean, the biology of it is really clear. Like porn is highly addictive. Um, it's, it's targeting people's or it's impacting people's arousal centers, right? Like one of the most central parts of your brain. And it's the reason that guys under the age of 40 are experiencing rampant rates of erectile dysfunction because their brains are actually being conditioned to experience arousal through a super stimulus. That's what porn is categorized at biologically speaking. It's a super stimulus. So you're, you're seeing a rewiring of the brain um, on an emotional level, a relational level. Uh, we say that porn is fast food intimacy. Mm. So the same way that, that a fast food diet is really not sustainable because it's actually, it's going to temporarily satisfy the craving, but it's actually going to do damage to your body long term. Porn has that same impact on the heart. So it might give you that initial feeling of connection, of intimacy. Uh, a lot of guys are, are going to pornography, at least in our groups. They admit that they go to porn because they don't have to risk being rejected by somebody. They don't have to deal with any of the hard work of cultivating true intimacy. It's just easy, quick, fast food intimacy. And so long term, it starts to erode their capacity for meaningful relationships, their ability to actually show up emotionally. And the other arena, and this is a, you know the angle I come from because I, I am a, of a faith background. I identify as a Christian, and the spiritual component is really important. And uh, you know, morality aside, and even the specifics of Christianity aside, um, we could we could categorize spirituality as purpose and values. And when porn really starts to get a stranglehold on your life, it starts to impact your your outlook on your future, the the hope that you have that you might actually do something great in this world. 
and and the confidence that you carry to actually carry it out. And um, all of those areas are, are are big enough that they're worth us paying attention to because we don't want to see we don't want to be damaged biologically. We we want to have healthy relationships and we want to have a strong spiritual life. And I think um, I think if if we don't, then then porn can really wreak havoc in those areas. Yeah, and and it feels like to me that I I think about this idea of intimacy being so much greater than sex. And I think people often misconstrue that. And so yeah. what I would, I would love for you to talk about is in, in your own journey, because I, I think perspective and context matters so much. What I'd love for you to talk about is, is kind of the, the shifts, the changes, the steps, the approaches that you've taken and kind of where you started this journey and what practical things you implemented in your life to get to where you are today. Yeah. So this is the, this is the question, isn't it? So I, I, as I mentioned, I started by kind of reaching out and talking to people about it. Um, I had so much shame that the mere act of just talking to someone else was, uh, like a, a thousand pounds off my shoulders. It was let, really, let me ask you really this question real quick. I think this would be really Please. important for that context specifically. And I apologize Please. for interrupting. I try not to do that, but I think this is important. How do you get yourself to have that conversation when there's so much shame that you feel inside? For me, I I had to weigh the the pros and cons. Like, would I rather stay stuck in shame, feel terrible about myself every day and continue this habit or take a risk, uh, but know that on the other side could be some liberation and at least a step towards recovery? And I had reached a point personally where I was so sick of it. I was so sick and tired of the shame. I was sick and tired of feeling like a failure, um, experiencing all these impediments in my life that I was like, I'm done. I have to do something. So that, that, that's what it was for me. Um, I was willing to kind of take a risk. Does that make sense, Michael? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, so you make that decision. You're looking at your life. Was, was there a, I, I, I have come to find, unfortunately, that typically a rock bottom, for lack of a better term, is often needed to create massive change in one's life. Can yeah. you paint us a picture of what your life looked like as you stepped into that step? And then again, if you'll kind of like go into the practical steps you've taken over the years to get to where you are. Yeah, the biggest thing for me was um, potential. So I really felt like, you know, I had all these big dreams. I wanted to make a difference in the world. And I was very aware that porn was affecting my productivity, like at a really kind of surface level, practical kind of level. Um, and so I wasn't able to do as much, but I could start it. I could feel it starting to erode my self-confidence. And, um, and so for me, that was like, oh my gosh, like I know there's people out in the world that I can be helping that I'm not going to help if I keep struggling with porn. Uh, relationally, I was way too scared to get into a romantic relationship because I didn't want to bring the baggage. I, I think I just knew enough. I knew that um, that having porn in a relationship for me was not going to work, especially for the kind of people that I wanted to be with. Like I said, I identify as a Christian. Um, so in that circle, you know, um, porn, porn is not really, um, it, it's not within our moral framework. And for me, I was, I was just too scared. I was too scared to get into a romantic relationship and bring the baggage in. Um, but again, I also just had no confidence. I felt like who would want to be with me because I felt really worthless uh, about my own behavior. Um, and then the spiritual thing was also really motivating for me because I thought, uh, for me to really express my my spirituality the way I want to, um, I, I I didn't want to be a hypocrite, and I I sort of had a bit of a, an internal conflict going on there. And um, and for me, I wanted to I wanted to have a strong spiritual life, and um, and so those were those were the things, kind of the state of affairs when I was actually making some steps towards freedom. 
And, and in that, again, I think a huge part of that is acknowledgement and looking at it and being willing to have, for lack of a better term, the, the courage to take that first step. I mean, I, I apply that in the same capacity to the people that I coach in, in the trauma space, because I believe entirely you've got to be willing to see what's on the other side of that decision. And, yeah. and I know that there are people who have had... I, and I think you're right. I think porn is like cocaine. I've never done cocaine, but I've done a lot of porn. And let me tell you this, like the <laughs> hardest thing that I've, that one of the hardest things I've ever done was be able to remove it from being a negative implementation in my life, remove it from being this thing. And, and for clarity, like it's something that on the occasion I consume with partners and things of that nature. Like, I just want to lay it out here to keep it honest with the audience and, and you for this conversation. Yeah. When I had never stepped into the ideation of doing the work, discovering trueness about myself, what my values were coming to your point, which I think often are the most important things to dictate what you do with your life. I think you kind of get trapped in things. And so when you started to step into this and I don't know if this is true or not, but were there fallbacks? Were there were there relapses in this process? Or was this just a complete cold turkey for you? The reason I'm asking you this is because when I have the unhealthy relationship with it in the same way I have with many other things in my life, including food and exercise and the whole nine, being an addict, I will self-proclaim, um, I have found that there have been these moments where it's, I fall back. I go do the same behavior again, and then I course correct because I have a better understanding of myself. And then it just becomes eventually, I think it's through education and being aware of myself that I remove those habits from my life. What I'm curious about, because I, I know that so many people and myself included in this conversation have gone to this place where like, I quit no more. I'm buying the app. I'm doing the thing. I'm deleting it. I'm going to turn off the internet. I'm going to get a flip phone. I'm not even going to go to the bookstore. Right. And then because of, I don't want to call everyone an addict. I think that'd be unfair and generalizing, but because of that impulse that we have, there's still yeah. that moment that we go back. What do you do in that moment? And did you have that moment for yourself? Yeah, I had tons, uh, tons. And we we really teach our guys that relapse is a part of recovery um, in the sense that the goal is not to go 90 days. Um, we, we want you to go 90 years. And to really effectively have any kind of long-term change, it's much more interesting to have gradual progress than dramatic progress. Because dramatic progress is hard to sustain long-term. Gradual progress is much more manageable. Um, what we encourage people is actually when you have a relapse, you want to leverage those experiences by asking yourself two things. So we actually have two things in our groups that we always have, have guys ask. Number one, what need was it meeting? So trying to identify what was the underlying driving force that led you to watch. It's so easy to just be like, oh, I'm a guy. I was horny. I just have these urges. It was just a weak moment or whatever, whatever. Um, it, there's always something underneath general i should say i should say always but generally there's something underneath and the better you can articulate the need and the underlying force that drove you to make that decision uh the more you're going to be able to learn from it and then the second question we ask is what would you do differently so next time you're in that situation where you're really stressed or you're vulnerable or um you know sometimes guys have a hard time when they travel and they're alone or they're out of their routine um what are you going to do differently next time to, to make sure that doesn't happen, to make sure that there's a better outcome. So that's a great starting point. Um, but I but I would just uh, like let people know I had tons of relapses along the way. 
Um, for me, it was about three, four years of really earnestly trying different things and, and taking, it took me time to really figure out what worked for me and what was going to actually help me stay away from this stuff long-term. So yes, there are relapses along the way. We'll be right back, but I wanted to take a quick moment to tell you about the Think Unbroken six-week trauma healing coaching program. If you go to coaching.thinkunbroken.com, that's coaching.thinkunbroken.com, you can sign up for the six-week daily Think Unbroken Trauma Healing Coaching Program. In this program, we're going to go over the six principles of healing trauma, adaptation, understanding the impacts of trauma, how to become the hero of your own story, what to do next, and ultimately what it means to be unbroken. For more information about this six-week coaching program, which you can download as an app on your phone and take with you everywhere, no matter where you are in the world, it's interactive. It's built about giving you practical tools that you can use in real time. And if you're ready for what's next in your life, go to coaching.thinkunbroken.com. Again, that's coaching.thinkunbroken.com. Now let's get back to the show. Yeah. And, and I have found that one of the things I always convey to people is, can you increase the distance of time between Right. Because that means you're learning, you're growing, you're really starting to sit with it. Right. Yes. Yes. Okay. So th th I'm so glad you mentioned that. So we, the word we use in, in our community is trend line. We're, we're always saying it's, we're not counting streaks. We don't really count how many days are you free, but what we're looking at is the trend line. Like what is the gap between? And if that gap is, is that is progressing, it could be small or it could be large. doesn't matter. But as long as it's progressing, then we're super happy. And I think that's, that's the mentality you have to have when you're focused on inner transformation if all you care about is outer transformation and just trying to modify the behavior, um, then you can count your streaks and whatever else. But uh, because we're interested in long-term success and the transformation of the heart and the individual of the person, um, then yeah, we, we do the same thing, Michael. We really pay attention to the gaps. Do you feel like having a time-restricted calendar against this is a bad idea? Because I'm just curious, because I, I think what happens is people will go like, I made it 37 days, or I made it 90 days, or whatever the arbitrary number is. And then it's sure. like, boom, right back to the old behavior. Yeah, I mean, we we really don't encourage any of that kind of stuff. Uh, not against it. Like, I think if you can go 90 days without looking at porn, that's fantastic. Uh, but like, like I said, for us, we're trying to play the long game. And so that means, yeah, we we don't really try to put deadlines or timeframes. Um, instead, we're, we're trying to tell people focus on the internal aspects and then the behaviors will take care of themselves. What do you think are the internal aspects that people should be focusing on? So we have three core pillars of recovery and deep clean, and each pillar has a mantra. So the first one is self-awareness. And the idea is that if you are not aware, it cannot be repaired. So cultivating that self-awareness is really helpful to get started. The second part is healing. And Michael, you are like so excellent in this area. Uh, this is where you're recovering from traumas. You're paying attention to parts of your past that have contributed. Um, you're, you're really just seeking a place of healing and health and wholeness for your emotional and your psychological life. And um, our operating sort of uh, mantra there is he who is the most vulnerable gets healed the quickest. And so the idea is that the more transparent you are, uh, the more willing you are to be vulnerable, especially in our community, uh, the more quickly you will get healed and you'll be able to move on to our third pillar, which is identity. And uh, identity is really just seeing yourself for who you really are, understanding yourself as a person of value, someone who is worthy of unconditional acceptance. It's one thing to understand it in your head. It's another thing to really understand it in your heart. And 
the the operating mantra there is that I would rather be a hundred percent my true self and rejected than eighty percent my true self and accepted. And so those are sort of the three pillars that we encourage people along the way in the recovery process. Um, to me, this is kind of what inside out transformation really embodies. Yeah, I think that's really special because there is something so incredibly powerful about owning who you are 100%. And to your point, you talked about this being a transition, like from, from two to three, I am such a huge proponent about this idea of vulnerability, because the truth is that is where you create connection. That is where you create relation. That is where you ultimately create intimacies. You have to be able to be willing to put yourself out there. And look, I think like, I would dare say this, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but you and I are able to have a conversation like this because of all of the work around vulnerability, because of all of the, who knows how many hours and hours and hours <laughs> of life of trying to understand ourselves better to get to the point where you can have the conversation. Vulnerability is a terrible conversation for most men. And, well, yeah. most people in general, but definitely men We're grown up, we're growing up, we're told, don't cry, put some dirt on it. Don't be a bitch. Don't be a pussy. Like all those things, even though contextually, I think the world is changing. That still holds true. Where, where do men start to step into vulnerability? Cause I, dude, I feel like even right now, real time in this conversation, there are people who are going to see the title of this in the podcast feed, and they're not going to ever tell a human being that they listen to this conversation. And I'm terrified of that because I don't believe change will ever happen for them. So how can we give men and women, everyone tools to step into vulnerability, not necessarily only specifically in this context, but in life in general? Yeah, I would ask this question. What is the safest place or who is the safest person that you could engage in this conversation with? And uh, I, I can pretty much guarantee you when you ask that question, if you think about it, you'll eventually you will find something. It might be an online forum where you're completely anonymous. Um, that's a great starting point. We everything we do involves community. I, I know you have you have a community you have Unbroken Nation, Michael. Um, that's because you and I know how powerful it is. Maybe somebody's not ready to quite put their, their face out there and really, uh, really plug in. At least start by engaging somewhere where you can even be anonymous. But I think uh, finding those safe places online or in person uh, really, really important to actually breaking out of this a little bit and realizing you're not the only one. And the number one piece of feedback that I get when guys do join our community and after the first session and I'm always like, okay, how was it? You know, what did you think? They're like, honestly, I just, I can't believe there's other guys who have had the same thoughts, the same struggles. Uh, My wife said the exact same thing to me, you know, like they just, they can't believe it. And uh, the reward is so worth the risk. And I know how scary it is, but um, for anyone who is listening, who's on the fence, um, I highly, highly doubt you will regret it. If you find a safe community where you can plug in, it's going to be so worthwhile, not just for your recovery, but for your overall quality of life. I I completely agree. And I have found that in those times personally, when I take the biggest risk of my life. What at least in that moment feels, it feels so risky to walk into a support group. It feels so risky to join a men's group. It feels so risky to go into an online forum. All of these things I've done and every single time on the backside, like I feel so empowered, but to your point, more importantly, I feel like I am not alone. And we get caught up in this idea, and and I think this is probably one of the most dangerous parts of mental health right now, 
is that somehow we're alone. Yo, there are 8 billion people on planet Earth. You are not, whatever the crazy shit happening in your life, I promise it is not only happening to you, it is happening to other people as well. And you have the ability to step into that, right? You have the ability to go through that, right? And it, yeah. self-awareness, that healing, and then ultimately creating identity, like that's so profound. One of the things I want you to talk about here as well is the identity aspect of this, that third pillar of yours, because A, I don't know that necessarily people understand what identity is. And if you could define that, that would be incredible. And then yeah. B, how do you start to frame and create that identity in your life as you step through this addiction? Yeah, for sure. Identity is simply asking that question, who are you? How do you answer that question? And the the more unconditionally your unconditional your response is, the better. If you answer your, you know, if you answer that question, who are you? by your career. You know, I'm a, I'm a podcaster for me. I'm a coach. Obviously these are the things we put on our public facing profiles. Um, but if that's actually your identity statement, then your value is determined by how well you can carry out that task or perform in that job. So, um, identity is learning to define yourself and finding unconditional places to, to find your affirmation and sort of that solidification of who you are. That's sort of the basis of it. Um, maybe the best way I can summarize it is this, and this is what we tell our guys in our community is we say you cannot outbehave your beliefs so in in the addiction conversation um you know uh, i'm personally not a not a huge supporter of 12 step because one of the first steps is hi i'm Sathya, i'm an alcoholic or it's whatever it's you call yourself an addict now there's nothing wrong with with labeling or you know identifying it for what it is but um the problem i have with some of these processes and systems is that that label never changes it's like once an addict always an addict and we personally don't agree with that. We believe that if you if you think you are an addict, then you will engage in addiction by faith because that's what you believe about yourself. And so a huge part of helping guys along the way is changing the way they see themselves apart from their behavior, apart from their baggage and their past. And when they start to see themselves that way, then the, the more productive behavior and the better decision making starts to follow. So that's that's sort of the framework that we give them. I, I often think about this truth. What you think becomes what you speak, what you speak become your action and your actions become your reality. And that mm. is the same exact holdup that I've always held with 12 step programs as well. You know, the, the first time I ever walked into an AA meeting, I was like nine years old, right? Going in there with my mother and sitting here and looking at all these people. And I remember this distinctly sitting on these awful gymnasium cold metal chairs in this freezing Indiana day. Everyone's bundled up sitting there and they're introducing themselves and saying they're an addict. And I distinctly remember even at 10, 11, 12 years old, going to these meetings with my mother, which children shouldn't be involved in. That's another conversation, but sitting there and, and thinking to myself, these people are making a choice to be an addict because they are already predetermining that's who they are. And yes. as I've stepped deep into my personal healing journey, you know, I remember most of my late teens, early 20s, being the role of victim, blaming, saying it's everyone else's fault, being like, I am this way because of them. And that's the ultimate fixed mindset, right? Mm -hmm. When you shift and you start to step into the reality that you can have this parallel of healing and changing your identity at the same time, I, I think truthfully that that's where you find freedom. So I'm going to ask you a question, which I, I don't know if you've been asked before, but let's find out. Who are you? Wow. Okay. I, I, no one's ever asked me that before. So um, this is where my faith really comes into play. And um, in one of the one of the Christian doctrines is that we are children of God. 
And, um, you know, that just sounds like maybe fluffy faith language, but I'll, I'll explain what I mean um, by answering the question. I, I would answer that question, I am a son of God. Now, here's why that's really helpful for me. Um, that, that, that identity statement has nothing to do with my behavior. Being a son is relationally defined. And what that means is as long as God doesn't change his mind, um, then, then we're good, right? My identity stays intact. And I, I know that to be true about God. Um, but if you wanted to transfer that, like, in any, when, when your identity is identified or is defined rather by relationship, it's re it can be really, really powerful. One of the things that motivates guys to get free and deep clean is they want to be a better husband. They want to be a better father. They're very, very relationally centered terms. And what that means is uh, those relationships, they don't change. They, 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 they don't change. So I can be really confident for me being a son of God that I am unconditionally loved. He unconditionally loves and accepts me. I'm worthy. I'm valuable as a result. And that will not change regardless of if, if I had a relapse today, Michael, my value does not change. My value as a person literally does not change. And that that's personally how I choose to answer that question. Yeah, that's I, I get that. I, I totally resonate with that. And the reason I asked you that is because I really want to hit home because at one point you may have had a thought like, I feel like an addict. I feel like I have no control over this. And, yeah. and I think there's something about in my journey, when I actually realized I was in control as opposed to not being in control, I promise you that's when everything changed. Like I use the word control all the time, right? Control what you can, let go of what you cannot. When, from a relationship standpoint, because I'm really curious about the impact this has had on your life, what were relationships like for you before and where are you at today? So the, I mean, porn really stopped me from engaging in meaningful relationships. And it's just a simple thing of like, if you get too close, you're going to see my pain, you're going to see my brokenness. And that's scary. So it's not that I'm, I'm very extroverted. I'm super friendly and warm. I had no problem making friends, but deep, meaningful relationships, uh, that was really difficult. And the romantic relationships I was in, that was always the complaint I got was like, you never actually share about what's going on within you. You just tell me about what you did in your day. And I was like, I kind of didn't have the skill set, but even if I did, I, I would not have gone there because I was too ashamed of, of my brokenness and, and porn addiction. Um, one, of my, one of my things was, uh, one of my mentors actually taught me this, that he said, marriage is a magnifier. And um, I, I always want to get married. I know, I'm sure there's different opinions about marriage uh, amongst your audience, but for me, uh, marriage was an important thing that I wanted to eventually experience. And uh, what my mentor was really saying is, dude, whatever issues you have in your life right now, um, a, a lot of single guys think that a long-term committed relationship, marriage, or just, you know, the relationship, a lot of them think it's going to fix their problem. It doesn't. Marriage is a magnifier. It makes your problems worse. So when we got on the subject of porn addiction, he said, that's something that you, you're going to want to take care of because that's going to become a bigger issue on the other side of marriage. And to be honest, I always thought if I, how could, how could that be if I was in a long-term committed relationship and if we have a healthy sex life? Like surely my issues with pornography will just go away. Um, but he was absolutely right. And, um, and so for me, I, I actually uh, was free of pornography before I did get married, before I met my wife. And, um, and on the other side, what it looks like now, Michael, just going back to what we talked about before, is I am consciously choosing to be vulnerable on a regular basis uh, with my wife, with some of my really close inner circle friends, because I know it's necessary for me to stay healthy and to stay whole and to continue to grow as a person. So it's taken me a long time to get here, a lot of conscious effort um, and, uh, and some bumps and some scrapes along the way as well. But, um, but because I'm free, I really am able to relate on a much deeper level. Yeah, that's really beautiful and congratulations. Um, one of the things I'm curious about is 
what if, which I believe it is that, that many addictions are behavioral, what have you done to replace those behaviors? What behaviors now um, have you intermingled into your life to keep you afloat? Yeah. I mean, a huge part of the recovery process really is self-discovery. It's just learning more about yourself and what makes you tick. I have, I have two things in particular that really help. Um, one is physical fitness. Uh, taking, taking care of your physical health is really, really good. It, it reinforces your personal value. Um, but it's also just very healthy for your brain, healthy for your mind. It keeps you in good space. Um, my other mantra is, uh, work hard, rest hard. And, and so I really make sure I get gaps in my day. I take Saturdays off. I, um, I fast 24 hours a week. I, uh, I do a 24 hour phone detox, tech detox, uh, tech detox every week. Um, so I, I have little practices like that in place that just keep me healthy. They keep me sharp and, and they allow me to really show up in my meaningful relationships to show up here uh, when I'm doing work. And, um, and I would say just make, make better decisions and, and really stay focused on, on a dream and a vision. Yeah. Do you, do you have a level of clarity around the kind of life that you live right now? Um, I think often people just nonchalantly for lack of a better way to phrase it, move about the world. Have you had to get mm. extremely clear about who you are? Yeah. Yeah. Big time. I mean, um, especially I would say the last three, four years of my life, I've made some pretty cool, pretty radical changes. I've, I've decided to be more of an entrepreneur. I quit my nine to five. Um, I'm actually doing this interview from Jamaica. My wife and I have decided to move here for the winter. Um, we've made some radical decisions because we're like, you know what? Life is short and we're not going to get caught up in a rat race. We're not going to get caught up just trying to keep up with the Joneses. Um, we've just tried to identify what really means the most to us. What do we want to do with our lives? And then figuring out What's it going to take to do that? And so, yes, the, the short answer is yes. And um, if I can just say, it's one of the things um, that we talked about on, on our podcast a lot, actually, is that um, this is why getting free of, of pornography and any kind of addiction is so powerful because it, it gives you your life back. And, and like, I see the difference I'm making in other people's lives now. Uh, the idea of being on a podcast like this to me is like an incredible opportunity and experience that I just would not have had if I wouldn't have got rid of my addiction. And, um, and so, yeah, absolutely, man, we've gotten super clear on what we want and we're going after it without any apology. I love that. And that's beautiful. And I look at my life too, and I go, man, if I would still be doing all those things I used to do, I yeah. promise you, I would not be having this conversation right now. Yes. Right. Yes. hundred percent. And one of the things I want to bring attention to as well is you in this relationship, you have a wife, you have a partner, you have someone who is, I assume, obviously very supportive of you. What is your advice to people who are going through this process? They're struggling. Maybe they're at their beginning or someone has called attention to it in their life. Then they're starting to recognize the addictive behavior patterns as a spouse, as a partner, as a support for that person going through this. What advice do you have for them? That's a great question. Um, and one that we work through a lot. I actually, um, I have the, the privilege these days. I work with a lot of um, like professional athletes um, doctors, uh, entrepreneurs, that kind of thing. And uh, one of the athletes I'm working with right now, uh, we're, we're working through this exact uh, conversation because uh, he, he needs to, to have a conversation with his fiance and explain to him part of his past. So what I always say is as long as, uh, as, long as you go into the conversation with you being the priority, it will be a failure. Um, the, the best thing you can do uh, to prepare yourself for maybe having this dialogue, which I guess maybe that, that should be my answer first is you do have to have the conversation with your significant other. Uh, but what we want to actually figure out is how do we do this in the best way possible? 
And a lot of guys go in being like, uh, hoping that, you know, they don't respond too much and hoping they don't get too hurt in the process. And, and they're so self-focused. So the first exercise I have people go through is I say, all right, what you're going to do is you're going to uh, pull out your journal. We're big on journaling in our community. And I want you to, I want you to just uh, imagine what it is like to be in her shoes to hear that news. Imagine, imagine what it's like. Imagine the roles were reversed, you know, and, and she, she finds out that um, in, in a past life that you were buying sex or that you've been watching porn for 20 years. Um, imagine that you were finding out those things about them. What, what would be your response? Just really coming from it with empathy and, and an understanding heart. And it does two things. Of course, it's going to give you a framework to, to sort of, I guess, comprehend what they're actually experiencing when you share this news so that you're not so focused on just getting everything off your chest, but that you're actually really conscious of them. But secondly, and much more importantly, if the conversations are done correctly, they will actually foster connection as opposed to, um, you know, interrupting it. And I think when it's not done properly, people do feel disconnected and they feel like, oh my gosh, I've driven a huge wedge between us. I should have never told them. But actually it is okay. It's, it, it is okay if there's some friction in the conversation. I'm not saying it's going to be all daisies and roses and they're just going to take it in stride. But if you do it with, with the heart of, I want to increase our connection and I know we have to keep having this conversation, that goes a really long way. So I think that that would be a good starting point. And on the other side, as a spouse or partner receiving this information, what advice would you have for them and the best way to be supportive or to hear or just to, to be there? What, what are your thoughts there? Yeah, my first thing would be um, it's OK. Like it, you're, you're probably going to feel really upset. Uh, you're going to feel betrayed. You're going to probably have feelings of maybe not being good enough or that kind of thing. All of those feelings are totally valid. They're totally legitimate. And the worst thing that uh, uh, somebody who's experiencing betrayal could do is is nullify or invalidate their own experience and their own emotions. Um, so so it's okay, sit in it. And then I would encourage them to find some community and support support themselves. Um, there's actually lots of betrayal communities out there um, for, for betrayed wives or, or spouses or partners or whatever. Um, that's, that's a really, really good way to just give yourself a place to process. Uh, one thing we see couples do is they try to process things with each other when they get started in the conversation, and it usually does more harm than good. It's much better to have uh, like other resources where you can go and have those conversations and then come back and talk together once you've just processed it a little bit. So um, that would be my biggest thing is your experience is totally valid. And if you're feeling hurt or pain, um, you should. You know, it would actually be weird if you didn't. Um, and the second thing is there are su there are supports out there for you as well, and you deserve those things. And um, that that's probably going to be necessary for you to heal from the experience. Yeah, I agree with that. And one of the things I teach my clients all the time, if they're in a relationship and they've gone through something pretty traumatic in it, is you got to go through the process of healing both together and separately. Because, exactly. I, you know, you cannot be each other's therapist. You cannot be each other's coach. That's not your job. My friend, it's been so incredible having this conversation with you. Before I ask you my last question, can you tell everyone where they can find you? Yeah. So if somebody's looking to get started on the journey or they want to understand our framework a little bit better, they can go to ultimaterecoveryguide.com and that'll give them a free ebook. Uh, it's just a small ebook that kind of explains our processes and how we walk people through, uh, through the recovery journey. So ultimaterecoveryguide.com. And uh, you can actually, we have some other resources. Like I said, we have a podcast, mailing list, that kind of thing, but um, that would be a good place to start and you can find the rest after. Amazing. And of course, we will put all of those links in the show notes for the Unbroken Nation. My friend, my last question for you is what does it mean to you to be unbroken?
You know, I think it goes back to what we talked about earlier, Michael. To me, uh, being unbroken first means accepting your brokenness um, and, and that vulnerability piece of just loving yourself, who you are in this moment right now. And then I think, um, you know, we often talk about in spirituality, we say that, you know, God loves you uh, so much that he'll meet you exactly where you're at, but he loves you too much to keep you there. And I think true to, to be unbroken means that you embrace the broken parts of you and then you move forward and you heal and you take steps and you become everything that you were made to be to make this world a better place. Beautifully said, my friend. Thank you so much for being here. Unbroken Nation, thank you so much for listening. Please like, subscribe, comment, share, tell a friend. And until next time, my friends, be unbroken. Unbroken Nation, hope that you just got a tremendous amount of value from today's episode. I want to know what you think. Please do me a favor and review, rate, and share the episode with three friends on social media today. It would mean the world if you did, because ultimately at the end of the day, creating community and connection is how we heal generational trauma in the world. And I need your help to do that on Broken Nation. So if you're on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you are, please like comment, share, review. I want to know not only what you like about the show, but how I can make the show better, how I can make this further about helping you on your healing journey. So do me a favor. And when you do shoot me a screenshot of you making the review to my DM at Michael Unbroken on Instagram so that I can have a conversation with you, say hi, and more importantly, so I can share it with the Unbroken Nation. Thank you so much, my friend. Hey, my friends, we will be right back to the show, but I have a question for you. Are you struggling with the impact of childhood trauma? Well, know that you're not alone. I'm here to let you know that I'm starting a brand new weekly coaching group that includes a year of live coaching, accountability, support, habit and goal setting, and more. I'm starting a wait list for the group right now, and I'm only taking a handful of people. And I'll let you know that through this personalized coaching, we'll work together to help you understand how your childhood trauma has shaped your beliefs, behaviors, emotions, and will help you create a roadmap for healing and growth. Right now, you can schedule an absolutely free coaching session with me and get put on the wait list if you go to thinkunbroken.com. My friends, it's your time to turn your trauma into triumph, breakdowns into breakthroughs, and become the hero of your own story. And I'm here to support you in doing that. Just go to thinkunbroken.com to register for a free coaching call with me and to get put on the wait list for the brand new weekly coaching program. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson natural boneless chicken breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.